You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk right here on L.A. Talk Radio. to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza. Only on LA Talk Radio. Welcome, I'm Alan Cardoza and you're listening to Answers for the Family. As a licensed private investigator and certified instructor in nonviolent crisis intervention and over 30 years experience working with families in crisis, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet and work with some of the top professionals in this field. I will bring you some of these incredibly talented and caring people each week as we bring you Answers for the Family. Having escorted thousands of teens to specialized schools and programs, returned hundreds of runaways, and retrieved many abducted children, I bring a unique outlook on what our kids are going through and what can be done to help them thrive, and if that doesn't work, how to survive. This show brings you answers and options to raising children today and in our constantly changing future. Answers for the Family will address issues such as locating your runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, and international parental abduction. We will introduce you to specialized schools and treatment programs that can really help and new innovations in these areas. I am thrilled to have as my guest today, John Lieberman. Thank you, Alan, for inviting me. Hey, good to have you here. Uh, I want to tell my listeners a little bit about you. John is the Director of Operations of Visions Adolescent Center. Um, uh, Visions is a treatment center located uh, in Southern California. And uh, a little bit about John's career. John began in the field of addiction treatment in 1985. He has held the position of floor supervisor, intake coordinator, youth counselor, crisis counselor, intervention specialist, and director of national outreach for two nationally recognized addiction treatment facilities. And having worked with at-risk youth at so many different levels, it's huge to me because I like dealing with people that have been in the trenches in their chosen profession. John has been an expert contributor to U.S. News and World Report, The Today Show, Teen Vogue, and will be featured on Inside Edition. John, I've known you for many years as a leader in your field. Why did you choose Visions? Well... Visions kind of chose me. It's kind of interesting. I've, I was uh, working at, uh, for Promises Treatment Centers, and, uh, which is uh, you know, obviously an internationally renowned, renowned treatment center, um, doing great uh, work with adults and complicated situations. And um, a friend of mine uh, there actually approached me. She was interested in starting an adolescent program that had some of the attributes that Promises had, which was the non-punitive approach, uh, offering lots of uh, specialized care. And at that time, I I had only been with Promises about a year and a half, and I wasn't willing to leave. Um, but I was building a relationship with another young man who was uh, leaving there as a partner with her, and that was uh, Victoria um, Smart was a person who uh, and uh, Chris Shumo, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, Chris and 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 uh, Victoria left to go start Promises, but Chris found out that I had worked with adolescents for a long time, so uh, he would buy me coffee frequently, and we became <laughs> friends. And he'd say, "So what do I do in this situation? How do I deal with this?" You don't have a lot of adults jumping fences, or uh, you know, being as uh, impulsive as adolescents would be, or dealing with families so much. Um, with uh, with adults, sometimes you have you know an individual come 
and then maybe mom or dad, maybe a child comes up for a family group, maybe a, maybe two or three times during uh, 30 days. Whereas in, in an adolescent program, you have mom and stepdad, dad and stepmom, mm-hmm. and sometimes grandparents want to come, plus the siblings, and all of them need individual sessions and group sessions. So it was just a different dynamic. And, uh, and, and I just started getting more excited because what they were implementing there were the things that, had a, that I had been involved with you know, 15 years before. And, um, and I, when I left Promises, started my own company, and the first contract I had was going out in marketing and helping with program development was with, uh, with Visions Adolescent Treatment Center. And uh, one day I was sitting up there to meet with Chris about six months after that, and uh, I, I was up there early, and I was just thinking about it. And I got, got out of the car, and Chris said, how you doing? And I said, are you ready to have me full-time? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it happened. I just, uh, it, it, I, I couldn't leave that. It was so important to me. I had seen programs be dismantled during the uh, late '80s and '90s. Right, we all did. Yeah, and what what Visions did was put that back together in many ways in a very uh, serene environment. You know, a total of 23 acres up in the Santa Monica Mountains, um, with not it hadn't been done. They just broke new ground, and uh, it's just amazing how that all worked. Yeah, my, my thinking was was that. Um and well, let me ask you if this is what your thinking was. You took a model that was promises and had the opportunity to be able to help help people at an earlier stage. Was part of it to be able to catch them younger? Well, I think so. I, I mean, part of it is to catch them younger. Part of it is just that, um, look, substance abuse, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's addiction, whether it's uh, whatever – Whatever trail that is in the process, we know that early use of chemicals leads to very bad things. Brain damage, right. problems in the family, other abuse, early pregnancy, um, diseases, um, uh, destroying education, things like that. So the earlier we can catch somebody, the better they're going to do. Having them go into an environment that doesn't have to be, um, say, really long and drawn out initially can be more palatable to a family who, say, hopes that their child can return home. It's not you can't blame the family for all these things going on. Many kids grow up in challenging families and do great, um, uh, and uh, other kids are in great families and do horribly. Um, there seems to be some genetic predisposition predisposition to all these things. I'm learning to use my lips today, um, <laughs> and uh, there's also some environmental factors going on there. Plus, with early onset, where you have kids where the average age of first use may be ten and a half years old. That's right, ten and a half years Ooh. old, which is Terrifying, mm-hmm. and they're using chemicals like uh, marijuana today, being up to thirty times more potent than it was in the seventies. Um, using things o- over the counter drugs, um, methamphetamine, not to mention alcohol, which kills more of our kids than all the other illicit drugs put together. So, um, uh, what we see is that, that it's affecting the brain. Um, our our uh, psychiatrist and medical director is Dr. Lewis. And Dr. Lewis was the substance abuse and mental health advisor for the NBA and is now for uh, the National Hockey League for professional soccer and, interestingly enough, for women's golf, too. Um, uh, what, what he says is, you know, addiction is really a disease of the heart. And when kids introduce those chemicals, they're introducing chemicals into an already very active chemistry experiment that's going on in the brain mm-hmm. that has been perfected over time. Well, when you add other chemicals to all those synapses and neurons and, 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 and different um, uh, uh, things going on in the growth of the brain at that time, it's very dangerous. We see some kids who you'd hope after they use the drugs, they'd start looking better. 
some of those kids start looking worse. Their depression gets more profound. Their anxiety gets more entrenched. Um, and so really that's where you need great, sophisticated uh, treatment professionals to be able to look at those kids, get information on, on do they have a sleep disturbance, how do they respond to stress, what do they look like in a classroom setting. All that information needs to come forward along with um, psychological and projective testing sometimes. Plus, we don't want to leave out the physical piece. If someone has, say, um, uh, something can look like an anxiety disorder, but maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe they have hypertension. Mm -hmm. So if you try to treat that with talk therapy, well, it's like a friend of mine said, it's like trying to teach a pig to whistle. <laughs> you get irritated and you piss off the pig. So the goal there is really to meet, meet the needs, not chase symptoms. Figure out what's going on with those kids through a lot of observation um, and be able to help them in a really, um, uh, I guess, a humane way. Um, make sure that the, the child and the family, um, the treatment team are all kind of a triangle in the process for helping those kids. Exactly. And, and I agree. And having a great team is very important. And I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the team in a minute. But I do want to share with our listeners one of the things that's, that's incredible about uh, Internet radio is you have the ability as we're talking, to be able to see some of the things that we're talking about. So I'm going to ask John to give the website four visions. And once you have that, for those of you that can pull up one screen, keep it going, pull up another screen, you can, as he's talking about this incredible staff, you can pull up information on that or you can pull up things about this program. And this is one of the reasons why, why we're doing Internet Radio and why I know that Internet Radio is going to be radio of the future. John, give us that uh, website. That sounded a little bit like rocket science to me. I just figured out how to read my email. So pulling up different <laughs> screens and everything is a little scary. But if you can do it out there, um, our uh, email, our uh, website address is visions, V-I-S-I-O-N-S, teen, as in teenager.com. So visionsteen.com um, is where you can find uh, information about vision. Great. And so uh, those of you out there, if you'd like now, you can you can click on another screen. Obviously, don't drop us. Um, go to visions.com, visionsteen.com, bring that up, and you'll see some of the things that John is telling you about uh, right there on your screen. So uh, while we're talking about staff, uh, John, tell us a little bit about the team that's put together because that's one of the things that, that I felt when I went up and toured the program was the team that was there, the people that I had known of for, you know, for many years were already tops in their field, and the number of people that are there to work with these kids. Share a little bit about that. Well, for our 16 kids, we have just about 60 staff members, which, again, is a, it's just a great way to observe kids. And also, you can always beat them at their own game, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of like with your private investigator service. You want two sitting in the car because if one falls asleep, somebody else can nudge them. You don't want to miss that brief moment where, you're gonna, where the exact thing happens. And I think for us... Many times that's the case. Something happens, occurs, and we start getting a picture into really what's motivating or uh, generating the energy behind the substance abuse, behind the anxiety, the depression, or, or self-harm. Um, the team really starts with Chris and Amanda Schumo. Um, uh, the, mm -hmm. the breath, the, uh, the feeling you get there, the, um, the power of the program in many ways is from them. And um, what they wanted to do was provide exemplary kit, uh, care for Adolescents and their families suffering from the effects of substance abuse and mental health issues. It's kind of a mm -hmm. commercial tagline there. <laughs> um, but uh, what they did is also they said and they and to take care of the staff. So in their original vision for Visions um, was to 
um, implement the staff as part of that dream, part of that mission statement, part of what we do. And, and that was a great piece because that's where we were able to attract people like Dr. Lewis um, and Bill Hoban. I've, I've worked with Dr. Lewis for um, 23 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with Bill Hoban, and Bill Hoban, Dr. Lewis, and I have worked together for 19 years. Um, uh, Bill Hoban's our clinical director of our uh, Moho- of our, all of our facilities, and our staff gets together. So we'll have 45 staff together on every Friday. The only ones who aren't there are the ones who are actually on the floor at that time. Um, and we vote on the kids' level changes and, and talk about exactly what happened the week before. Um, uh, Heather um, uh, Culligan is our um, uh, the director over at our uh, Latigo facility with six beds. Well, she was trained by Bill. So they, you know, one hand always knows what the other hand's doing, which is really great. Um, uh, Celeste is our newest addition to our clinical team up at Visions, and she came in having worked with kids for many years in very difficult situations and um, does a great job with them. Um, we have also um, an uh, uh, internal medicine physician, um, uh, Dr. Waldman, and that's where we find out what's going on, make sure we don't miss something, make sure some of these kids have been using intravenous drugs sometimes, um, or some chemicals can create other diseases, and we don't want to miss those things, so we want to make sure that we're addressing that. We've had quite a few kids come through who had diabetes um, you know, or on medications that need um, blood levels done, and it's important that we do that and treat those kids um, from a medical perspective. And we also do a few other special things. We do equine therapy. So we have a specialist in equine therapy who's certified to be able to work with the kids, which is a really neat process um, uh, for kids. And uh, uh, we also have some specialists in, uh, specialists in eating disorders. Uh, Don Theodore is a therapist who was trained uh, by Carolyn Costin at Montanito, which is an internationally renowned uh, eating disorder program. Um, and she does uh, evaluations on our kids for boys and girls, plus does individual and group sessions with them. Because you need a specialist to deal with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. It's a different issue. you know. Um, uh, um, uh, and then having some other experts in the area, like neurologists that we work with, or um, uh, Dr. Drew Yellen with uh, Yellen and Associates, who does a lot of our testing. He's very, very passionate about de- addressing um, attention deficit and really addressing it. Because this is very interesting. Um, somebody will say, uh, kids using drugs is just adolescent behavior. Well, could an attention deficit disorder, part of that just be adolescent behavior <laughs> mm-hmm. or oppositional defiance disorder? Well, that's where ha- being able to clinically address that and having great experts be able to see that, um, uh, um, address it, and document exactly what's going on throughout the day. And this is a great example of that. Many times... Um, uh, what's called attention deficit or hyperactivity disorder can be described as someone not being able to concentrate, being um, uh, distracted, uh, maybe having some anxiety over things like reading or certain processing. Well, what if the child just was abused a week or 10 days before they came into treatment? Could they not also be irritable, distractible, um, have, you know, react very... Exactly. They could have the same symptoms. Same symptoms, but the treatment's completely different. And, and that's where it's really important that you have uh, great staff to be able to address those issues, be able to create a, um, an environment of trust so the kids can talk about what's really going on without fear of just retribution or that there's going to be a uh, consequence, but really to move on to the next step and how to help them through that. So that's where having a great staff um, um, helps in so many ways. Plus in our facilities between all of our school sites, um, which we have, um, four, we have about five teachers as well. And, and the teachers are there um, observing the kids, giving us information on how they do in the classroom. Um, and that helps in a great way um, uh, also. We also have um, 
we just hired a, a gentleman. His name is Pat Weston, and I'll go back. I went through training with him uh, 22 years ago. Wow. So it was great to bring him in, and he uh, directs the Westlake office of our outpatient and school program. And then Sean Geary, he's an MFT, uh, MFT um, licensed therapist down in our Brentwood facility. So we just have this team that's always moving, shaking, um, uh, calling, emails going back and forth, texts about what's going on with the kids. And I think uh, and one of the most uh, uh, interesting things about Visions, other than, being in Malibu, which is great, um, is that um, there's only two people who deal with intake calls at Visions, um, and that's uh, Chris Schumo, one of the founders, and me. So uh, we take the calls, we work with the families, which means that during this um, show, Chris is getting all the phone calls. But it means that when we walk into, a, um, whether it's the outpatient program or the school residential program, we know Bob, Sue, or Betty. We know what their kids are going through. We took that first phone call, I think, in the same way you remember the first phone call I don't know where my kid is. Right. Well, and a- another component of that 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 I'm aware of, uh, and that is making the right decision for that family. Uh, I think it's huge. Uh, again, I've I've known John for many years, and and from an ethical standpoint, I know that if a family calls them, that they're going to get somebody that is is clinically able to talk to that family and that is going to help them make the right decision. And if their program is not the right decision, they're going to tell them that and they're going to help direct them to the right place. And that's that's huge to me uh, and to anybody that is has been in this industry and understands how important that is. I think where you said, when I said earlier, you asked about, you know, the process and the different components in the program, really the different components in the program is, I mean, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. Well, um, in, in many ways, I get to travel internationally to see different treatment centers, and that's part of Vision's commitment to knowing how do we make sure that when this child goes home, there's a good therapist, there's a good counselor, there's a good psychiatrist, because there's so many different philosophies about how to treat a child. Um, and I know a piece of that and over the last 23 years getting to see the programs, but I don't know all of it. Absolutely, and there are some great professionals out there that we link with, we hook with, we we, we work with, we dance with, so to speak, um, when we have a child, say, sometimes in treatment who need we don't know where they need to go next. There are issues that came up that we haven't dealt with before or we haven't had a successful outcome maybe, and we're looking for um, a specialized program for that child, and there are experts out there that we contact. Um, sometimes we'll, they, they'll come out and meet with the child, meet with our staff, so they're getting really good information. We've been seeing that child for, you know, 45 to 90 days, day in, day out, checking them every 15 minutes while they're sleeping, you know, so that that person, that expert gets a lot of great information, and then we can work together as finding what the next step's going to look like for them through the process, and once in a while, we, you know, we try to do a really good assessment up front, mm-hmm. and many times, you know, I can figure out, say, one in ten calls are really the call for visions, and the other ones are, I might recommend to a different place or a professional who can help them, um, and then we, sometimes we get kids who they're in our facility. They've been there a few days. They've been there a week or two weeks. And we're looking and saying, you know what? All the information we had up front looked great. But there's something different going on here. And we talk with the families to look for what's the, what's the best place to get this child treated. And one of the reasons it's so important to find that information out up front is because even when we make, you know, whether it's a mistake or not, I don't know. But it's hard on the child. It's hard on the family. Well, and, and I think and it's hard on the other kids in the program if you have somebody that's not a good fit. And what I hear you saying is it's more than than the fact that it takes a village to raise a kid. It takes the right village. Yes. 
<laughs> that's a great way to put it. And and having, I think, um, there's a lot of people in the village I live in who I don't want to raise my kid. Um, uh, so so being able to go out and figure out what's a great program. And uh, you know, I just, um, I literally this year I spent um, I spent five days um, in Europe. Uh, looking at programs there, um, I just got back from a trip to Massachusetts, seeing some really great programs there. Um, and uh, the, one of the programs I went to, the, the, one of the um, their uh, uh, the things that they talked about is they have the biggest brain bank in the world. So, so you can donate your brain to this program. Um, and they're, they're associated with Harvard, and uh, but they also have um, some very specific units for kids that don't exist anywhere else. And sometimes you find that. You know, kids a lot of times are self-medicating. And so once we get, we're doing the treatment, getting them into, say, uh, um, they want to they quit using drugs. We, we work with their peer group issue. You know, we, we, are, we, we work with the 12 steps. So we're kind of in the mecca there, too. A lot of people have this fear. I'm kind of I'm going to kind of rabbit trail for a second. People hear 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Anonymous Anonymous, whatever may be out there. And, and some people have a lot of, of, uh, of feelings that's a, a bad place what if there's bad people there what if I'd say look do you let your kid go to high school I mean in a public high school there's there's people you know, there's felons there that's there's right. IV drug users there there's rapists there many times that just haven't been caught yet um, and, and, and not to put them down I'm just saying that there are, if a kid wants to find the influence not to mention um, as Chris Humo puts it really the bad neighborhood has been dr- brought directly into your child's bedroom through the internet Absolutely, and through text. Uh, yeah, I was, I, and actually, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is is that in this day and age, and again, when I deal with the parents and where their child has run away, and I bring them back, and they go, "We're going to move to fill in the blank. We're going to move to you know some podunk place in Montana," and I go, "It's there, wherever it is. If they can get a computer hookup, it's there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they go, well, we're going to get away from the gangs. You know what? There's gangs everywhere." So interesting. Also, is we just found we, and, and I'm not even going to say it on the air, just in case there's a kid watching. You can call me if you want to know. There is actually a website out there that designed as it be, makes your computer basically just a tube to go to other websites, and it was designed specifically so if uh, a library, school, or parent disabled MySpace or Facebook or some of these sites that parents don't want their kids going, they could still be able to access it. And all of these programs that are designed to stop them or record where they're going, you'd never know. And most of the times when parents would read the website, they wouldn't know. Um, um, for the uh, the people who might be listening, there's a place called VTunnel. And basically what it does is it, 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 it uh, basically masks everywhere the kids are going. Um, and it's very difficult to be able to record when once they're in there. So, so for parents, they think they're keeping their kids safe, and they don't realize many times how dangerous it is. Back to the twelve-step piece. We're in Southern California, which is the mecca for kids' recovery. Mm-hmm. In as much as it's the mecca for destroying kids, I think in many times where you have a lot of bad things going on, you also find solutions. Um, and uh, um, there's program. There are groups out here with two hundred and fifty to three hundred young people kids from 13 to about 19 or 20 years old it's like a keg party without the keg it's on the verge of out of control and we bring our kids there very supervised and they will come back and say i saw this i saw a kid with a mohawk and earrings who said he's been sober for a year and he's getting a's in high school and he's talking to his parents and he doesn't have to be there he's not in a treatment center mm-hmm. being taken there by staff that's a big deal 
Um, and, and it's very important for kids to see that there are other kids out there. It's one thing for staff to say it, and we go after them, and we have all these staff members around, and, 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 and even if they're young, in our program we have a lot of alumni who work for our program, and that's great because they can say when a kid says, you don't understand, and Billy can say, not only do I understand, I slept in that bed. That's right. In fact, and, and we do the same thing with transport where the kids, no, you're just doing this, you know, for the money. You don't understand. And uh, one of one of the people working for me that was told that is six foot five and 280 pounds. And he says, excuse me, but I was transported 10 years ago and uh, and it saved my life. So you're absolutely right. It's so important for those connections and those links in the whole process here. And, and um, being able to go out and see the kids and, and see them uh, uh, talk about their experiences, going to meetings, taking responsibility. A lot of what happens, and some people know and don't know, but part of it is making amends. So it's really accountability. Part of it is realizing that they're going to need help. Part of it is um, is reaching out to other people. and. Um, there's a gentleman, his name is Terry Kellogg. He's written some great books out there and talks a lot about you know codependency and the effects of mm-hmm. trauma and addiction. Um, he worked a lot with John Bradshaw. And these, they, these were guys who really um, created a paradigm shift. You know, Claudia Black was involved with that, Sharon Weckshider Cruz, and uh, a lot of great people dealing with the process, the kind of process addictions, what happens to the whole family as a result of substance use and abuse. And... Um, and um, one of the things that, that Terry Kellogg um, uh, talked about um, with this whole process um, was that you have to make meaning out of trauma, bad things. So if I've done bad things or bad things have happened to me, but I can help somebody through what they've done or what's been done to them, that's what makes meaning out of this. That's what helps a young lady who may have been raped or abused or a young man who sold drugs to other people who got hurt. When they can take somebody else who says, I can't do this because of the bad things I've done. Nobody's going to accept me. Nobody's going to understand how I feel. And somebody can say, not only do I understand, I feel differently now. And that's just huge. And when you can see a 15-year-old do that to another kid, mm-hmm. that's a paradigm shift for them. Absolutely. And and I think it's one of the things that a lot of people don't take into consideration. And when we talk with parents, they don't even think of that. I mean, that's, that's, that's not even on the radar for them. All they're concerned with is fix the problem, either get it out of my house or fix it while it's in my house. Uh, so, I mean, those are the type of things that uh, – those, those are the reasons why we're in this industry. Absolutely. When it, when it comes right down to it. Um, now – Thinking about our audience and thinking about the fact that we have there's parents out there, there's professionals that are listening. Uh, what would you describe as as the the type of child that is a good fit for Visions? Well, I'd say that Visions take we take kids who may where there's substance abuse involved, use and abuse. Um, also, you have to get a lot some information about behavior. Usually, you'll see things. Parents are concerned at a level. Why are they so concerned? Because for a parent's concern to go up, it's kind of like when our kids are born. I think the doctor gave us blinders. I think maybe <laughs> it's the only way we could survive with all the things our kids do between the normal accidents of falling off skateboards and all that, plus the things that they get involved in. Well, I was going to say they, they must or people would never have a second that, one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so what happens, I think, is... Is, is that when a, when a mom wakes up in the morning and says, I think my kid might have a drug problem, or I think my kid might have this problem, whatever that might be, um, it's to ask a lot of questions. Because um, in this day and age, you know, a lot of people almost are more comfortable with the idea of their child having a psychiatric disorder. 
they'll hear, oh, it's depression. Maybe my kid's depressed, and they may very well be, um, uh, or have uh, bipolar, manic depressive illness, um, or uh, anxiety, or obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, or uh, ADD. Well, those illnesses are very complex, and treating them mm-hmm. is very difficult. Um, in fact, a lot of those illnesses are in the 1% category. Whereas substance abuse, recently the RAND Institute did a study in Santa Barbara County, which is a really good cross-section of the United States. Um, and they recommend, they said 22% of high school-age students would benefit from substance abuse counseling. That's wow. huge. That's an outside agency looking at across the board and saying that. Where where family parents many times they say they hear from the psychiatrist maybe it's bipolar illness because they have high highs and low lows when you um, one of the things about kids when uh, therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists interview them interview them many times they don't realize that they're getting bad information parents start figuring that out where are you going kid says where they're going and parents have this thing in the back of their mind if I show up there I'm quite sure my kid's not going to be there mm-hmm. they're going to be anywhere <laughs> else but there. Um, and so uh, it would help, I think, if therapists kind of looked at it that way, that you can't just take what the child says. You've got to have a lot of information that the, the parents say. So um, a kid for us is usually has substance abuse going on with overlays, which I mean is sometimes you find out there's been cutting, mm-hmm. um, uh, maybe anxiety. They may still be doing great in school. It's not uncommon for us to have kids who are still A students doing great in private schools um, uh, but something's changing. Parent, in fact, I just had a parent who called. He said, "My son just got two C's. That's never happened before." When when they went through his room, they found methamphetamine. They found the the actually he's a very bright kid. Uh, this their parents found possibly the means for him to make, you know, or we don't know exactly what was going on there. But basically, crossing every line you could possibly cross. You know, and he had gotten away with a lot of things because he did so well in school and had this very good front. But the dad just said something clicked. When he started trying to address it, there was this big defiance, mm-hmm. this inappropriate energy for a normal question. Why did your grades drop? Just get off my back. Get you know. And, and a lot of times the reason that happens is that the child's starting to do things that are in um, moral opposition to the family. Right. Not from a religious point of view. Could be. But, but just – no parent wants their kids doing things to themselves that are going to hurt them. Right, and that's p- part of their own guilt is coming out. Absolutely, part of their guilt's coming out, and so even parents, I, 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 you know, parents, if you've ever ne- noticed your kid walking in the room, and they and you walk in, and they actually have a physical reaction to your approaching that isn't a happy one, rolling the eyes, a huff, turning in the chair. Well, that's because something's going on underneath. Um, some, it's like if you find out your spouse bought something they weren't supposed to and they walk in the room happy to see you and you're like gritting your teeth oh nice to see you too mm-hmm. well the part of that is well, uh, so we can understand it but for the kid what they're doing is, is separating themselves so what happens is your foundation gets more unstable because the family is the foundation for that child cognitively we know that from the development of the brain it's not just a good idea to have a stable family it actually is what supports a child to the next place in life. One of the things Dr. Lewis says is that we're not dealing with young adults, really. Young adults are maybe 25. That's where their brain is an adult brain. We are really talking about children's brains developing into adult brains. And so from that point of view, it's very important to address things um, and and look at them that way. One of the things that constantly amazes me when I'm talking with some of the parents is how they've forgotten. I mean, that 
I'll ask parents about those types of things and they'll start explaining it and I'll go, and what did you do at that age? You know, did you, you know, you know, were you doing something and hiding it from your parents and how did you react? And when you make them look at it and the parents start going, wait a minute, I did the same thing and go, there it is. Come on. You know? Absolutely, they do the same things. I think for parents today, sometimes it's a little it's a little difficult for them to understand. But how could they do this? How could they run away? Right. right. You know, they said, "I would never have run away." That my mom would have done this. This would have happened. Um, in fact, um, there was a study also done on high on uh, college students who had never used drugs or alcohol during college. I mean, it's self-report. But basically, what they said was, "My parents would kill me. My parents would be disappointed." The parental effect of that is so profound for that age and for success in life. And someone says, well, they're going to use later anyway. Yes, but, you know, the difference between drinking alcohol or picking up a joint or something like that at 21, 22, 25 years old is much different than a 14-year-old. What are you going to take away? What is a 14-year-old going to lose? What, an iPod? Yeah. You know, you know, they don't get to play Nintendo anymore. But for an adult... In fact, I've talked to people who said, you know, I kind of got involved in cocaine when I was, you know, about 20 years old. And my grades started going down. My dad threatened to take away college. That's a big deal because I'm not, I don't have a home to go back to. Kids don't have that same sense of loss, especially when they start connecting with this bad peer group. They think somehow in their mind that that peer group's going to take care of them. So a bunch of 14-year-olds, we're back to Lord of the Flies, I guess. Right. Or, or that that's the norm. Yes. You know, so many of them will think, well, that's the norm. That's, you know, their parents are letting them do that. You know, their parents are letting my friends do this. Um, you know, the other thing as far as in dealing with the parents is for them to follow through, uh, you know, where, where we get involved also in crisis intervention or aftercare where we're going in and working with the child or even beforehand until a place opens up at a program. And I can think of one situation in which we set up a family contract. We set it up to where if the child went on the Internet again and was accessing porn, the computer would be taken away very reasonable consequence for that we went in he did it we took the computer away mom bought him another one (laughs) (laughs) because he made her life hell rather than sticking to her guns and in that situation we had to fire mom and she said but you can't do that she goes i've got money i'm paying you and i go you don't understand you don't get it it isn't about the money it's about the fact that if you do not follow through with this our help is useless I think what touching on that is I would say that part of our treatment process is family, 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 family. And um, a friend of mine said that you got to say it three times, so family, 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 family. Getting families involved in this process, regardless of whether they're the cause or not, you wouldn't argue that the family should be involved if a kid broke their leg. Everybody would come to their aid to try to help them. It doesn't matter why it happened, how it happened. We fix it. We help them through this. Doesn't matter why the, there's a substance abuse problem here. Doesn't matter why there's depression. The only thing that matters now is that there are solutions. There are absolute solutions. We know the treatment process for these things. Right, and they work together to they, get there. Absolutely, they work together to get there. Um, in the same way that we know now that where a family's together, education does better. Well, so what we're gonna, what we do many times is um, our families don't just come; they come for. Um, individual sessions, multi-family group, and family education. So families can just ask the stupid questions that they don't know about. We have families come in who've been through the program, say out of the program for uh, uh, six months, or we have a support group for families too that parents can access. And we require families to be involved whether they're from Europe 
or whether they're from Santa Monica, which is basically next door. So when the and, and I was in a group uh, about uh, six weeks ago where one of the families said it's really hard to get up here from Santa Monica, and I, li- I I turned to one of the other families and I said, "So how was your flight from England?" And 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 because he just kind of rolled his eyes when they said it was difficult to get there, and I didn't have that argument anymore because we had a family literally coming out every other week to be involved and then this family also um was you know these family was willing to go to a five-day special family program uh during the program and about 90 percent of our families attend uh, a five-day family program we work with uh the betty ford center um has a great family program that families are able to access and then they also have a program say for the siblings so if you have an eight-year-old or nine-year-old who's seen you guys come in mm-hmm. take away their brother you know, you know, and they know. They usually know. You know, they smelled the smell. They saw the alcohol. They walked in on their brother or sister. They're worried at night when parents are fighting and all these things are going on. So, um, there's a program specifically for those kids that the Betty Ford Center runs. Uh, that's quite amazing, um, and you can access their website and find out about it. And the neat thing about that program is no family will be turned away for financial issues. Period. I love that. There's nothing like it. But one of the things when I said it takes a village, there's the the uh, resources that that program has compared to a little program with 16 beds, we can't do it all. There's no way. But what we can do is find some of those programs so that make sure that the families can access um, those services. Um, and so we have the family piece at Visions um, and addressing that. I think when you ask the kid, substance abuse with those overlays, say uh, self-harm, um, eating disorder issues, body image issues, depression anxiety, OCD, things like that that seem to kind of culminate together. And sometimes it's because someone starts using a chemical and it fixes those underlying feelings. Sometimes somebody starts using it and maybe it creates them. We don't always know. But being able to ferret that out for the professionals to figure out what the next step's going to look like is really important. And then it gives the family a chance to uh, decompress, become part of the process uh, to help figure out what, you know, like I said, what the aftercare is going to look like. And one of the, I, you know, I talk about you know how important aftercare is. I also talk to parents about um, it's a new therapy. I call it odometer therapy. Share that with us. Uh, odometer therapy is I believe that the success of uh, kids is directly related to the odometer reading on a parent's car. Are they getting them to their sports appointments? Are they getting them to their therapy appointments? Are they showing up at outpatient? Are they involved, or do they want somebody else to fix the child? Um, uh, um, you know, yes, kids can respond. You know kind of uh, aside from their parents, but all of the studies show how important the uh, parents being involved in the treatment process is. Hmm. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback here, and I'm not sure why. Um, it's my magnetic personality. That must be it. Um, what I want to share in regards to as listeners is that some of the questions that you may have, if you go to the website, answersforthefamily.com, and that's answers, the numeral four, thefamily.com, we're going to have a blog on there. And on that blog, you can put your questions. Uh, some of the things that John brought up with, you know, saying, you know, I'm not going to go into detail with it right now, but if you have more questions, if you put it on there, we will get those to him. Or you can also go directly to his website, uh, which is visionsteen.com, and that's visions, plural, uh, and teen as in teenager.com, and you can pose questions there as well. Uh, again, we're going to try to help in any way that we possibly can. You know, I love the fact that Visions is partnered with uh, a lot of different programs, that they will refer to different programs. Uh, these are the things that are going to help you as parents, as professionals, to be able to get the kids the help that they need. 
Uh, now, John, I got another question. We talked a little bit about, I mean, you've talked about substance abuse and about some of the things that treatment centers do or should do. What does Visions do differently? What is the things that you do differently that sort of makes it that perfect niche because that's the reputation that you have? I think Visions is, is unique is that we, um, we're kind of altruistic. We just believe that we could. We could and that we should. Um, so um, we we have the – I talked about our staff, mm-hmm. the integration of the family in the program. Having school and education is a very important piece in the whole process so that kids – we don't want kids to leave with more weight on their shoulders than they came in with. So we want to support their education as they go out. Um, um, you know, the evaluation. So there's kind of four issues. It's the medical psychiatric piece. We don't want to miss any of those issues. Um, it's the family piece, having the families involved in the program, the education piece, and then the peer piece. When I talked about, like, you know, support groups and the 12 steps and engaging the kids, and then kind of the bricks and mortar way to implement that. How do you implement that? Those are all good ideas, and everybody nods their heads and says, yeah, of course. Well, um, what we we were um, working with different programs and realized that it was very difficult for us. We were kind of sending our kids out like seeds in the wind um, when they were leaving our program. And this is something that Chris and Amanda had a lot of conviction about. So we started an outpatient program first in Brentwood and started networking with other um, outpatient programs throughout the country to make sure we have good places to send kids to. Um, and, and our kids started doing better. And they started doing a lot better. Those kids who could go there, because probably about, say, uh, 20% of our kids were coming from that area. Mm-hmm. And then we had this wild idea. Um, what do you do with an adolescent outpatient program during the day? Because those kids come at night. Families can get off at night. They come at night after school. Well, we were sending kids to these specialized schools, and we found out that they weren't really supervising them all that well, and they were kind of getting away with things, and parents were frustrated and spending a lot of money to be frustrated. Not so, good. No, it's not good. <laughs> and so so what we did is um, we decided to open uh, SAV, the Scholastic Academy at Visions, um, that, that combines with our aftercare program. Um, and so we have kids now coming. The, the Scholastic Academy is really a, it's a safe, sober environment for kids who may have trouble um, re-entering a conventional high school situation. Uh, it may be that they come to us for a semester or two and be able to reintegrate, maybe catch up where they were at. So we do a specialized summer program just for two months. They could do two classes and finish those and return back to, um, um, to high school. Um, and, and there's a revolving admission process, so they don't have to, we don't have to wait a month to be admitted. And basically, if you call me today and we do an evaluation and everything's good, you're going to come in tomorrow. We're going to do drug testing. We're going to have clinical staff there, um, which is really neat. It's a one staff member to three uh, client uh, ratio, um, plus with a therapist or a counselor in the next room, plus we do drug testing to keep those kids safe. And we know who the parents are, and the parents get an emailed copy of what their kids completed every Friday. But we actually know how they're doing within about two hours of being there because they have goals every day. Because you can't let these kids become wily on you because they're much better at it than we are. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a really neat piece. And you know, when I say aftercare, one of the neat things about our programs, we get kids from all over the country who are coming back to Southern California from other treatment centers. And they'll call us, and we can integrate them into the program into an aftercare program which acts different than just an outpatient program. Now, when you say uh, coming back from a treatment center, you're saying are they coming back from wilderness, are they coming back from boarding school, or all of the above? All of the above. So a parent has, say, had their their child's been away, say, for 12 months, or, uh, say, a wilderness program for six to eight weeks, and they realize, oops, 
we need you know or or the the treat most of those programs tell parents you got to find something mm-hmm. a lot of those programs are small also and don't haven't invested or haven't been able to invest a lot in finding out what those programs may look like out here but um we'll get phone calls sometimes from professionals saying i have a child coming back they need drug testing they need a you know kind of a school environment maybe for four months before they're able to go back to a conventional school or they just need the outpatient piece they've got a high school to go back to how can we integrate that child back in and because we're an out we're because we're an aftercare program we don't start at ground zero with those kids we find out where they're at and we work with them from there um, so because if you just start talking to them about the basics well a lot of these kids they're, they've been they, they haven't used drugs for say 12 months they've been in a program they've dealt with peer issues they've been doing better in school they're feeling better about themselves their parents have come out to visit so how do we we take it from that piece and then maybe the pieces where they might need some more individualized help or if we do have a child who comes in off the street the, the counselor will deal with that individually right and, and a lot them. of it then is just an extension of whatever the program is if, the, if, the pro, if it was a good good structured program and they've obviously benefited from it then continue that structure uh, not only with the child but in many cases show the parents how they can continue that as well. Yes, and we absolutely meet with the parents beforehand and make sure the philosophy melds Um, because if it doesn't, you don't want to restart the kid with a whole new philosophy. That's not fair to them. It's not fair to the family. The family has invested a lot into whatever that program is and how it works. So we want them to know and understand exactly what's going to happen step by step in the process, what their involvement is going to be like. If the kid's been gone for a while, many of the parents, they're going to be more involved bringing him back. But I can tell you this, they're bringing a kid back home, bringing a child back home into your home. All the triggers are still there. The feelings, they walk into the house, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the friend who said hi to them as they're driving in, that they know that that last experience with them was not a good one. All of those things come rushing back. And, and, and so uh, sometimes maybe they still have something in their room that hasn't been found yet that, you, you know, that maybe they thought well, they forgot was there too. How are they going to deal with that? And so to have someone that's on call 24 hours a day, to have that drug testing kind of hanging over their head as a good motivator, all of those things is a great way to help them succeed through that first year, our, pro, our outpatient program. It's a year-long, three-phase program. But it's really designed to help um, support and help them succeed. And just from kind of a pragmatic point of view, um, you know, parents have spent thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, it's kind of like buying a car and never changing the oil, you know, in, in, in crude sense. You wouldn't do that. Well, some people do and end up with the consequences in many ways, bringing them in and having that process and in, in really is, is, is servicing all those things those kids learn and how to implement it in their everyday life. Um, I was talking to a young lady not long ago. She had gone to a wilderness program and uh, she came back and she was speaking to a group of kids and she said, you know, it took me nine months to, to learn how to start putting into practice the things I learned in the wilderness program. That's nine months of being in an outpatient program, working with counselors and teaching her how to take the, the philosophy, those experiences, and implement them to, so that she could, could mm-hmm. succeed. Right. You know, it, when you mentioned about the, the sights, the smells, and the things that they may have left back in their room, uh, one of the things that we observe, and is, as part of our training when we're picking up a child in the morning to bring them to a program like yours, uh, is to observe their their eyes, where they're looking and what they're doing. And there is quite often situations as we're leaving the room and the child will glance at a closet or they'll glance at a drawer and we'll stop, go back in the room and say, if there's something in here that you want out, that you don't want your parents to find knowing that you're going to be gone for a little while, 
let's get rid of it now. Let's let's take it. We're going to flush it. You know, I'm not going to get busted, am I? No, that's not our job. Our job is to get you to the program to get help. And if it means getting this stuff, you know, destroyed, getting it flushed, that's what we're going to do. We're we're not here to report to the police. We're not here to to get you in any further trouble. We're here to help. Cleaning out the past is uh, so important mm-hmm. for an adolescent because it's what sends these kind of tremors that fractures their whole foundation that we're trying to build from. One of our young ladies who got there didn't know she was coming, didn't know she was going to be there till literally three minutes before you know she came onto the property. And she was mad. She was kicking things, destroying the inside of the rental car, all of these things, just frustrated, angry. You know, in a lot of ways, how could you blame her? She thought she was going on a shopping trip, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, this is this is one of those where, where they told them a story and they lied to him to get him there. They lied to him to get him there because they were afraid of what their daughter might do yeah. rather than using Alan. Yeah, remind me to come back to that. <laughs> in, in this case, it ended up, um, other than the abuse to the rental car worked out okay, but interestingly enough, um, um, a couple, about a month later, She's still there. A young lady comes in and was beside herself. She was crying and frustrated. She's at the dinner table. And this young lady looks at her and says, you know what? I was upset and I cried and I screamed and I yelled and I treated people bad. And you know what? They still accepted me. So you do whatever you got to do because you're going to be all right. And that's such a big step from, you know, trying to, you know, tear apart the rental car you know, because she was feeling out of control and feeling powerless to be able to say, you know what, there's a way through this and it's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you said that, it just reminded me of a story of uh, a young man that I had to pick up uh, in another state and I had to pick him up from juvenile hall. And as I took down all the information, they said that he had been brought by someone else to the program and he was told that he was going for a 24-hour evaluation and that if he was really good during the evaluation he'd be able to be back home in time for his date on Saturday night. And the person dropped him off, left him, and when he was told the truth, he freaked out. Uh, He stabbed a counselor with a fork, and he was now in juvenile hall. So at this point, I had to go up, pick him up, and as I sat down and talked with him, and I asked him, you know, tell me me what happened, tell me all the, you know, and, and his big thing was he was lied to and he was deceived. And that that bothered him more than anything else. He then looked at me and said, so where are you taking me? And I told him the name of the program. And he said, how long will I be there? And I said, I don't know. It depends on you, which is kind of a patented answer for us. And he looked at me and he he gave one of the smartest questions that a child has given me. He said, looks like you've done this for a long time. He goes, have you taken a lot of kids to this program? I said, yeah. What's the shortest amount of time anybody stayed there, and what's the longest amount any time any longest amount of time anybody stayed there? And I told him the exact truth, which it was a long-term program, and the shortest was about eight months, and the longest was about twenty-two months. And he hung his head, and he looked up, and he said, "Well, at least you told me the truth." I mean, that was huge to him. So always huge to adolescents, even if they're even if they're liars, even if they're manipulators. When somebody does it to them. It, it especially adults, it fractures their whole view of things, you know. And and I, I guess I could say, as a parent, um, all I can tell you is that everything I've ever recommended to a parent, I have had the opportunity at least to put in place in my own life. Um, and uh, and and one of my daughters goes out speaking with me, and she's she's doing really well and been through some difficulties. But I really believe in that respect and telling the truth exactly what's going to go on because um, then you can continue to build but I do completely understand 
when a parent is terrified for their child's safety and they realize that and they don't want their child to run away again, why many times they respond with coming up with a story? Because beyond that, when my parents found out what I was doing, you know, they lied to me. They told me I was going to a counseling session that ended up lasting eight weeks. You know, so um, I'm one of those kids who got picked up by a big guy and got away and then got found by another big guy and got away another time. And so, I mean, all of those things, I understand it. And I also understand the terror in my mom's eyes when she finally figured out what was going on with me and the seriousness of that, you know, when I was 16 years old, that, that what she says is my son was killing himself and I had to do everything I could to get between him and everything that might hurt him. Well, and and I, I agree completely, and I'm not telling parents out there, you know, never lie to your child. Um, but what I am saying is is that, I mean, in, in our position, we're not in a position that we should be doing it. And as a parent, you can you can omit information. There's information Absolutely. you don't need to share. And, and if you are in a situation, if your child has run away and, and you set up a situation where they're going to show up and the only way they're going to show up is that you say that you are, you're not going to make them go home – and I tell you to go ahead and do that, go ahead and do it because when I get them, I'm going to, I'm going to explain to them that I'm...